0: In 1992, it became the first graphic novel to win a Pulitzer Prize and is still the only graphic novel to have won one. Such was the political impact of a tale about World War II and the Holocaust illustrated by using Jews as mice, Germans as cats, and the Polish as pigs. Based on interviews the creator of the book, Art Spiegelman, conducted with his father, the graphic novel recounts the impactful and intimate account of how his father survived the Holocaust. It has been classified as a memoir, a biography, a history, fiction, autobiography, and mixes of other different genres. Basically, no one knew where it belonged or how to categorize it, but it didn't change the fact that millions wanted to read it. It was one of the first graphic novels to receive significant academic attention in the English-speaking world and is still regarded as one of the best in the category of comics. With a surname as Spiegelman, which literally translates to Mirror Man, Art Spiegelman seemed destined to create art that forced people to face their emotions, even if it wasn't what he initially set out to do. Welcome to House of Words. A podcast about writers, authors, and the art of illustrating history. I am your host, Jason Moore Harden, and today we're talking about Art Spiegelman's *Mouse*. The first chapter of *Mouse* was released in 1980. Here is a synopsis to entice and or remind. Maus tells the story of Vladek Spiegelman, a Jewish survivor of Hitler's Europe, and his son, a cartoonist coming to terms with his father's story. Approaching the unspeakable through the diminutive, the Nazis are cats, the Jews, mice, Vladek's harrowing story of survival is woven into the author's account of his tortured relationship with his aging father. Against the backdrop of guilt brought by survival, they stage a normal life of small arguments and unhappy visits, studying the bloody paw prints of history and tracking its meaning for those who come next. Quote, with any work worth its salt, you have to trust the author enough to take its measure. And if you apply too many preconceptions, you are not taking its measure, end quote. Art Spiegelman was born Itzhak Avraham Ben on February 15, 1948, in Stockholm, Sweden, to Polish-Jewish Holocaust survivors Vladek Spiegelman and his wife, Anya. Before Art was born, the Spiegelmans had another son, Risho. During the Holocaust, Vladek and Anya sent Risho to live with an aunt, where they believed their child would be safe. In 1943, four years before the birth of Art, the aunt poisoned herself, Risho, and two other young family members to avoid capture by the Nazis. After the war, not able to accept the fact that their son was dead, the Spiegelman searched orphanages all over Europe in hopes of finding him. They were ultimately forced to face defeat after a long search proved fruitless. In 1951, when Art was three years old, he and his parents immigrated to the United States where they settled down in Queens, New York. During his youth, his mother would occasionally mention Auschwitz and some of her experiences there. On the other hand, his father, Vladek, nearly refused to have Art know anything about it. Due to his apprehension, Art wouldn't know the full story of his parents until he was older. He had on occasion heard them mention that they had lived through the war, but nothing concrete, and it was often mentioned in passing. His parents would say things like, We're going to stay with Ulick, and Ulick, I helped him very much when we were in the camps, and we'll go stay with him for a while. But that was the extent of it. Art, being a bright child, became aware early on that his parents and the other Jews they were friends with seemed to have a sort of fraternity and that there was a lot to learn from them. When Art was approximately 10 or 11 years old, he and his mother were going to a store in Queens. Anya, his mother, felt a desperate need to urinate and was contemplating whether or not they should turn around and head back home. Finally, she decided that it was best to go back home, and on the walk back to the store, she told Art how during the war, in the camps, they had designated times when they were allowed to urinate. If there was a need to go outside the designated hours, one had to be a little imaginative because if you were caught urinating when you were not permitted to, the Nazis could beat you severely or even kill you. So if it was deemed necessary to take the risk, the other women would form a casual circle around the one who had to pee to avoid being seen by the guards. But that story, like most of the stories that Art had heard as a child, were told to him without context or background, something that would understandably mostly serve to terrify him. But with this feeling of unease also arose fascination, a fascination he would allow himself to explore when he decided to begin writing Mouse. As stated earlier, Vladek refused to tell his son nearly anything when Art was a child, But as he became a young adult and asked him questions, he would be more willing to share his experiences. Later, as Art grew into an adult, his father would tell him stories from the war as if they were his birthright to know. These would, of course, prove essential in the creation of the novel. But years before Mouse, it was Mad Magazine that made Art Spiegelman realize he wanted to be a cartoonist. It was around 1956, still in the formative years of MAD, when seven-year-old Art discovered and became fascinated with the magazine. With its erotic and other adult-themed elements, it felt taboo and therefore irresistible. He also had a strong feeling that the adults in his life would not necessarily want him to be reading it, which made it all the more alluring. Although his parents did recognize that their young son was interested in the magazine, surprisingly, they did not see it as something negative. It kept him quiet, which they appreciated. But what his father struggled with, however, was the price, ten cents each. He told Art that he could get two or three comics for the same price at the Diamond Dealers Club. When his father brought home the comics he had bought at the Diamond Dealers Club, Art realized that those comics were the ones kids hadn't been allowed to read in the first place. Titles like Tales from the Crypt and The Vault of Horror and Weird Science Fiction jumped out from the page and captivated him immediately. Because his father wanted to save money, Art was able to dip his toe into comics with more adult themes than his peers, and such began his artistic evolution. Though he did have a period where he read Batman when he was learning how to read, the superheroes never really held his attention for long. What he liked was the satire magazines, the comics that made fun of the culture around him. Those were the ones that really spoke to him. After graduating from the High School of Art and Design in 1965, he went against his parents' advice of choosing a career which promised financial security, and instead chose a different path, studying art and philosophy. In 1966, he began selling self-published underground comics on street corners. A couple years later in 1968, after taking LSD with great frequency for an unspecified period of time, the 19-year-old Spiegelman suffered a brief, though intense nervous, breakdown and spent one month in Binghamton State Mental Hospital. Three months after his release, living with his parents as he attempted to get back on his feet, more tragedy would strike. On May 21st of the same year, sometime after the death of Art's uncle, his mother's only surviving brother, Anya Spiegelman committed suicide. Art came home late that day, as he had been with his girlfriend a girl his parents did not approve of. It would be his father who'd find his wife dead. She emptied a bottle of pills and slit her wrists. She left no note. His mother's death naturally had a tremendous impact on him and it would be a guilt he'd carry with him for a long time and one he explored in his piece, Prisoner on the Hell Planet, a case history, which he also included In mouse. By 1971, he had worked for a while with the underground comics, something he really liked as it allowed him to explore and try out things that weren't being attempted in the more professional world of the comics medium at the time. He also found that he was getting increasingly good at it. Spiegelman quickly became a key figure in the underground comics movement, where they spelled comics with an X at the end. As both an editor and a cartoonist, he was getting attention, but he had yet to make his masterpiece. The following year, in 1972, Justin Green produced the semi-autobiographical comic book Binky Brown Meets the Holy Virgin, which inspired other underground cartoonists to produce more personal and revealing work. This included Art Spiegelman as well. Mouse was first meant to be a comic strip for an underground comics magazine called Funny Aminals. That's A-M-I-N-A-L-S, not a misspelling. Justin Green was the editor. Like most underground magazines, it was pretty much up to the creator to choose what kind of story they wanted to create. Though they had one stipulation, it had to use anthropomorphic characters. Trying to figure out how he would go about creating a good story, Spiegelman sat in on a class of a friend who was a filmmaker. In this class, his friend would show his students old animated cartoons with cats and mice as the main characters. He would then show some racist cartoons from the same period, showing the connections between the two. After being exposed to the cartoons, Spiegelman came up with the idea of making a story about the Ku Klux cats and their lynchings of mice, an obvious reflection of racism in America told through these anthropomorphic characters. However, it wouldn't take long for him to realize that he did not have enough material to work with. It is around this time that he became fascinated with the idea of writing and drawing a comic book that had the structure of a novel. Blending ideas and inspirations, he realized that he had the concept for a story much closer to him, something he had a connection to on a personal level. The Nazis would often depict the Jewish as mice in their propaganda posters. Later, Spiegelman found that the poison used to gas the Jews, Zyklon B, was a pesticide. A Nazi documentary titled The Eternal Jews, which Spiegelman watched, made no qualms about it calling the Jews the rats of mankind and talk about how they carried their disease throughout the world this sealed the idea for Spiegelman and a three-page strip called Mouse was published in 1972 in Funny Animals which would give way to a much larger story and ultimately become the graphic novel Mouse Quote, some reviewers wanted less. Some wanted lots more. Some wanted lots more of something else. But these strips are exactly what they are. End quote. According to Art Spiegelman, his father wasn't reluctant to tell his story once he began. He was also a very good storyteller, but unlike other survivors, He didn't have a particular need to tell his story. What he did have, though, was a need to spend time with his son as he grew older. The only way Art would be around, as Vladek saw it, was if he told his son the stories with a microphone in his face. But the way Vladek told his story, like most people tell their stories, was not in a chronological way. The story would jump from 1933 to 1957 to 1978 back to 1942, which meant that Art had the task of trying to put things in order later, as well as decide how he wanted to tell the story. He would land on the more difficult way. He wanted to tell the story chronologically. After the interviews, Art would listen through the tapes, and when he'd find a chunk of information that caught his attention, he would try to find a visual way that could properly reflect the information with the severity and poignancy of Loddick's experience. It soon became necessary for him to figure out how many frames would be needed on each page in order to express a particular piece of information or emotion. In order to accomplish this, he would first draw thumbnails to keep himself in a system he could later elaborate on. For instance... He would divide a page into three frames and write truck in one frame, inside of truck in the second, and arriving at Auschwitz in the third frame. This way he could go back and edit elements without using numerous hours of drawing pages and frames that wouldn't work in the end. He would divide each page with the use of a grid. The grid would divide the page into either three or four horizontal tiers with either two or three panels cutting across. He found that the grid gave the pages more structure and something he imagined would make it easier for the reader to hold on to. By utilizing this method, the panels would stay a more consistent size, though he often found himself violating the grid. During the making of the comics, he would make two trips to Poland in order to research the story. The first trip he took when he was starting out in 1978 was to get a sense of the place, the camps, the streets. When he heard his father tell about streets and locations, he usually envisioned streets in New York, since that's where he'd grown up. But he knew that in order to convey the feeling he wanted to, he would have to be accurate about how it looked, or come close as possible. For the second part of Mouse, he went back to Poland once again. This time, he was primarily focused on Auschwitz and how the camps were divided. In order to create Maus, he had to do a large amount of general research in addition to structurizing his father's story. He would continuously read history and first-person accounts, watch movies, documentaries, and look at drawings created by Jewish prisoners in the camps. All this was his attempt to try to get a grip on the severity of it all. Once he was content with the page structure and the panels, and he had the research he needed, he would begin to sketch and define the look. When the script was written, he had the sentences reduced down in size so they would fit onto the page. With the writing in place, seeing how much space of each frame they would occupy, he made preliminary drawings for each of the panels. To save paper, he started off with a light color, like yellow then added orange to bring the drawing more into focus, then blue to draw the figure in a more detailed way, and finally black to fix the last details that he had not drawn so well up to that point. Next, he would discard the drawing and redo it all over again now that he knew how he wanted the particular page to look. With the final sketch finished, he would place it on a light table and redraw the page in black ink. Despite his meticulous planning and sketching, he sometimes still had to go back and do touch-ups to make sure that the page functioned according to plan. It was neither an easy nor a quick process, to say the least. While in the earlier stages of working on the novel, Spiegelman was struggling to find a style he deemed appropriate for the material. The first few attempts he made felt too rendered and detailed something he felt took away from the story. He would go through several different ideas, and at one time considered using colors for the present and black and white for the past, but ultimately felt it was too artificial. While testing out different styles, he was simultaneously in the process of breaking down pages. When breaking down these pages, he would make these quick, rough sketches that would indicate how the story could be presented. Soon, he realized that his rough sketch drawings were a lot closer to what he wanted the style to be than any of the other styles he had tested. The end result was the use of a simplistic yet highly effective style that was created by using a fountain pen for both the lettering and the drawings. Veering from what is usually the norm in comic books, the book was printed the same size as it was drawn. From 1980 up to 1991, Art Spiegelman serialized the comic as inserts in RAW, an avant-garde comic and graphics magazine published by himself and his wife, Francois Mouly. In 1986, a collected version of the first six chapters was released and garnered mainstream attention. In 1991, a second volume with the remaining chapters would be published, Completing the story. As the novel gained momentum, he was fond of reading the different reviews from different countries, particularly because the focus would be on different elements. In England, he found nippity anti Semitism in the reviews, something that never reached the surface but nonetheless was obvious and prevalent in the subtext. Germans seemed to focus more on it being a comic book, seeming to avoid the story it was telling. Upon visiting Germany, he was asked if he thought it was in bad taste to tell a story of the Holocaust in the comic format. He answered by saying, no, I think the Holocaust was in bad taste. In Italy, he found that they often went off on strange philosophical tangents in the reviews. Then on to France, a country that has embraced the comic on a much larger scale than most other countries. They first commented about the drawings, then focused completely on the writing and about how Spiegelman had a good ear for dialogue. Even the reviews in smaller French papers seemed to hold more knowledge about the medium of comics and would give more in-depth reviews than most major papers from other countries. Though the novel was highly successful in many countries, including England, France, Germany, and Italy, it was less so in Scandinavia and Japan. Japan, in particular, has its own comic book style, and the Mouse novel did not resonate there. Likewise, the Israeli version did not resonate in Israel. According to Spiegelman, they made a mess of the translation, which could explain some of the reason to why it failed there. Mouse was and is a difficult book to categorize. So much so that Spiegelman had a small tussle with the New York Times when they didn't know if it should be on the bestseller list as fiction or nonfiction. Apparently, one editor joked that they should go to Spiegelman's house and knock on the door. If a mouse answered the door, it would be placed in the non-fiction section. In the end, the book wound up on the fiction list. There is something to be said concerning how the graphic novel is a more intimate medium than the prose novel. In a traditional prose novel, several writers use the same fonts, though the words differ. But with a graphic novel, and this one in particular, Spiegelman wrote each word and drew each panel and page in the style of his choosing. The emotions running through him at the time are all reflected on every panel of every page. While this is certainly true for prose writers as well, the prose writer doesn't draw each word of a book. These personal elements are without a doubt very relevant in the experience of the piece and might therefore result in a more intimate experience for the reader. The success of Mouse has made Art Spiegelman a household name in the world of literature and continuously winds up on lists of must-read comic books. Following Mouse, he has gone on to release many more graphic novels, including In the Shadows of No Towers, published in 2004, which deals with the loss of the Twin Towers. Of the 85 relatives of his who were alive at the beginning of World War II, only 13 are known to have survived the Holocaust. As usual, let me leave you with one final quote from this creator. I know this is insane, but somehow I wish I had been in Auschwitz with my parents, so I could really know what they lived through. I guess it's some kind of guilt about having had an easier life than they did. End quote. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and will spread the word about the podcast. Once again, I have been your host, Jason Nemo Harden. I, along with the creators of this podcast, kindly ask that you please consider helping to make this show easier to produce and more frequent by contributing on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash house of words. Until next time, keep turning those pages. House of Words is written and produced by Crystal M. Sanchez, narrated and written by me, Jason Nemo and music by Creature Nine and Wood. All rights and ownership belong to Crystal M. Sanchez and Jason Nemo